friends, our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Well, no one ever likes to get bad news. All right? We always have, at times in our lives, unexpected detours, unexpected things, things that we were not wanting or anticipating or would not have chosen for ourselves. Um, there, there was a movie about, gosh, you, you know, it's funny. I, I, there are certain movies I love, and I think they're recent, and you like them, and then suddenly, after a few years, you realize, wow, that movie's already X number of years old, okay? So in the last, I, I used to say, oh, in the last couple of years, one of my favorite movies was, and now it's like, in the last 10 years, one of my <laughs> favorite movies was, I think, uh, what was that? I was watching The American President last night. I realized that movie came out in 1995. I mean, Clinton was president. Okay, okay, and I'm thinking, wow, okay. Well, anyway, in the last 10 years or so, one of my favorite movies was Up in the Air. All right, and so it was George Clooney plays this guy whose job it is to go around the country and fire people. And so this is what, they are an outplacement services firm, but what it means is he just goes into companies, they hire him to fire people, and this is what he does for a living. And uh, <clears throat> there's a scene toward the beginning where he's trying to figure out a way to have a person accept this news a little more gracefully. And, and so he has this line that he always uses on people, and I want you to take a look. Stephen, read this back. Take it seriously. I think you're going to find a lot of good answers in here. I'm sure this is going to be very helpful. A packet. Thank you. Um, packet. <sighs> well, anybody who ever built an empire or changed the world said where you are right now. And it's because they sat there they were able to do it. That's the truth. Okay, now, I want you to take the day, go get together your personal things, and then tomorrow, you get yourself some exercise. You go out for a jog, you give yourself some routines, and pretty soon you find your legs. How do I get in touch with you? Don't worry, we'll be in touch with you soon. 
This is just the beginning. I'll never see Steve again. So it's it's a great line, except that he's using it to get rid of the person and and ha and then ultimately abandon the person. But ultimately, it's a line that works that people relate to, because it's true. He says, "Everybody who ever did something great, everyone who ever built an empire, but ever sat where you are right now, everyone who changed the world, sat in this place." of hopelessness, sat in this place of detour, sat in this place that they were not ever expecting to be in, not wanting to be in, and then ultimately it turns out that something amazing comes from that position. Our story today is, is about Mary in a position that nobody wants to be in. I mean, this is a nightmare. She's engaged, she's a teenager, and she's told you're going to have a baby, right? There basically is not a time when a teenage girl wants to hear this news. And so this is devastating to her in the moment. You know, what do you mean I'm, what do you mean I'm going to have a baby? And she says, how can this be? How can this be since I'm a virgin, but, but really, how can this be as in, how can this be? It's not just the physical impossibility, it's also ju just the, the impossibility for her life. She's, she's watching in that moment every possibility for her life disappear. Because she knows, I mean, the, the Matthew version of the story has to have an angel come and tell Joseph, this is okay. Don't worry about this. This is all right. This is from God. It's part of God's plan. She has no idea that this is going to happen. She has no idea that Joseph is going to be told that this is okay, that God is orchestrating this. And so in that moment, you can imagine what it feels like to have everything that you thought was going to be going up in smoke. How can this be? But then the angel gives her a simple message. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Which, by the way, is not really that much of an explanation. Okay, so this, this is not like diagrams. This is not the Ikea list of instructions for how this is going to happen. I mean, this is just, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And everything is going to be great. Simply stating what will be. But he, the angel gives the words that are really important for us to remember. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And this is the piece of the story that is so important. What's important about this story is the idea that she is willing to trust without knowing What's going to happen? She's willing to trust that God can make the impossible happen. And impossible, I mean, we think of impossible in terms of the physicality of it. But there's also cultural impossibility that we face all the time. You see, we, we can be in a profession, and that profession collapses, and the person is saying, it will be impossible for me to make a living. It will be impossible for me to continue. 
right? So we see impossible not just in terms of the physical, but we see impossible when our very narrow view of how life can unfold starts to collapse. And then we say, wait a second, I don't see a path forward. What am I supposed to do? And what Mary does, she says, I'm going to trust. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. She's simply going to trust that it's going to unfold the way God wants. And here is why it's so important for us to have that attitude. It's important for us to have that attitude because if we demand, before we say yes, if we demand that God show us exactly how everything is going to unfold, then what happens is that we will judge our assent based on our ability to comprehend this happening. What happens is we will look at this and say, okay, wait a second, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand it. It's kind of like the Ikea thing. I always pull Ikea stuff apart, and, and it always seems like, at first blush, I don't have the right number of parts. I, I look at the diagram, and I look at the things out of the box, and you lay them down, and you go, wait, I'm not sure which is which. I am not sure how you're supposed to get this into here, and I'm not sure how it doesn't take three people with PhDs to figure out how to line these things up and get the screws in. I don't understand how this works. And what happens in our lives is when we see God say, okay, this is what you're going to build. And you're looking at this box of parts. And you're saying, I have no idea how I'm supposed to translate this box of parts into what it is that I'm supposed to build. The picture on the box of the thing, the display unit I saw at the store. And if your yes depends on your understanding, you limit God's ability to influence your life. You limit God's ability to, to have you just start because you're saying, God, unless I can understand, unless I can see how this goes together, unless I can, can, can visualize the end point, I'm not going to go anywhere. And we force God to live and work inside our box. And it just doesn't work that way. See, if we're going to live a life of faith, it's a real simple formula. First you say yes, and then you let God show you how. First you say yes, e even though it seems crazy. You let God present a vision to you, and you say yes. No idea how. Or as some friends of mine in, in ministry would say, if you can visualize how it's all going to come together, you've cut God out. What do you need God for? If there isn't a piece of the going forward in life that is beyond your comprehension that will only happen if God intervenes, that will only happen because God sends something that you need that's unexpected, if, that's the, if you don't have that, you're not actually moving forward in reliance on God. You're going forward relying on your own intellect, your own understanding, your own planning. You say yes to God, and then you find out how later. 
And that's when at the end of it, you look back on these things. And you say, isn't it amazing? I had no idea when I said yes, how this was going to fall into place. Or how that was going to fall into place. I had no idea, we had no idea of, of, what was go- of, of how we were going to solve this need that we had. And suddenly, pieces started coming together. Suddenly, the person showed up. And there's a practical aspect of that, by the way, that, that is both God and human in interplay. In churches, we often don't find out that a person has a skill that we need until we declare that we have the need. It often works that way. It's kind of amazing. Many times in churches, or I'm sure any other organization, it works this way. It would probably work this way in your offices, you know, if you have a fair number of people, where, where you could have a person in a meeting room sitting there saying, well, love to do this, I just, but I don't have the right person who's good at this, and I don't have the right person who's good at that, and I don't know how to find them, and, and we don't have the, the budget for payroll to hire them, and that kind of thing. And, and so you say, well, let's just not do it. And you never actually find out that you had that person. You never actually found out that that person is available, that these people are around. And the reason why they never let it be known that they had these skills, they had no idea you needed them. And it was only when you decided, well, this is what we ought to do. This is the direction where we ought to head and then said, we're going to do it, and then said, in order to do it, we need X, and we need Y, and we need Z, and then suddenly you find out that somewhere already in your life were X and Y and Z waiting to be needed, waiting to be wanted. That God had already put these people into your path. But you, me, whatever, hadn't bothered to see that they're there. Happens a lot because we narrowly frame the direction that we might be thinking that we're going forward in life with. We might think that we're going down this one particular direction and we don't see that there's an alternative path to get to where we need to go. And we don't take that alternative path because we're thinking, I don't have the resources, I don't have the people, I don't have the means of taking this other way. But if we had said yes to God, if we had trusted God to say, I'm going to take that leap and head down, then we would find the resources, the people, the methods appearing to us. You know, there's a a favorite quote of mine. Uh, If there's a couple people here whose weddings I've performed, I think. Because I'm just mentioning this because if I ever do your wedding, you will hear this quote. <laughs> okay? There's a couple right. If I ever do your wedding, you will hear this quote because it, it's, one, it's one of my favorite quotes. And the reason why it's one of my favorite quotes is that the, the thing about marriage that I always mention, that I always think is frightening, is the idea that, that you get married and you have no idea what's going to happen. Right? Marriage is just one of those things. Marriage is not one of those things where you get to, to look forward and say, okay, I want to see how this is going to play out. 
I want to know how it's going to be. I want to see the vision 35 years down the road and, and have everything mapped out. And unless you can show me, you know, what you're going to be like. Can you imagine asking to a, fian- to a person you're thinking about uh, getting engaged to and saying, what are you going to be like in 10 years? <laughs> you know. How do you think your, how's your career going to go? Uh, are you, you know, really, what are you going to be like? And unless you get the answers to all those questions, you, d- you don't go down that path. So the thing about marriage, which is, is the courage of it, the ability to say yes to one another, right? And think about what you're doing. You are saying yes to one another in marriage on the basis of the character of the other person. You're saying yes to a person's character and taking a leap of faith. You're betting on the character of that person. Why wouldn't we bet on God in the same way? And take the same leap. And so what, what the quote I always use in, in wedding sermons is a quote. I love it from the late Reverend William Sloan Coffin. Who was at Riverside Church for many years. And I just love this quote because I, I think it's so applicable to the leap of faith that marriage is. But I think it's applicable to everything we do in life. And he said this. He said, I love the recklessness of faith. First you leap. And then you grow wings. This is the life of faith. To be reckless enough to say yes to God when we don't see how it's going to work. We say yes to God when we're just not sure. We take the leap and we trust that somewhere in the air we're going to grow wings. And we do it. Because we trust God. And if you needed everything in place before you leap, and that is so easy because certainly, yeah, that's the way we would want it to be. I mean, I would want, if I have to take a leap off a cliff, I want how many feet of air mattresses? And ultimately, preferably a stunt double. You go first. (laughs) But then... When we take all the risk out of it, and we make it safe, and we make it planned, it's no longer faith. So be a little reckless. Say yes to God before you know how it's going to work. That's how God came into the world. And it's how we should respond to it. Amen.